Hi there, welcome to the Circumcenter, a series of stimulating dialogues on the circular economy. Today's topic is the ecosystem enablers for circularity. A successful systemic change requires a holistic approach by including all ecosystem actors, such as non-governmental organizations, startups, businesses, governments, and the people. Ecosystem enablers are the essential force bridging, activating, and catalyzing these actors. Unfortunately, our world is only 9% circular, which means we toss away 91% of our resources. That is a horrific number, and we need ecosystem enablers to merge everyone's support to change it. Meet Maike Ahmed Dahmen, the co-founder of Excess Materials Exchange and the director of circular economy at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. WBCSD helps globally over 200 companies accelerate their transition to become more sustainable. Let's hear it from Mike. How these ecosystem enablers play a substantial role in empowering this shift to a circular future. Hi, Mike. Welcome to Circumcenter. It's great to have you um, as part of our guests in our conversation. Um, let me start with the first circle of our conversation, which is going to focus on your personal life and your background. And I'm going to start with this question. When we did a research about you, we found that you have a background in social sciences, uh, but you are working in a different area at the moment. What inspired your interest in circular systems during your studies or in your life? Yeah. Thank you for asking and thank you for having me. Um, so I think my interest in circular economy or sustainability was always there. It's not something that just popped up. It, it's, it was a given and it was there for as long as I can remember. So when I was very little, I was always interested in the environment, how people dealt with the environment, um, how we interacted, how we treated it, and how we could treat it better. Because as a kid, especially, there was a lot of information about the coral reefs dying already and the hole in the ozone layer was a really big thing when I was younger. Uh, the dumping of nuclear waste in the oceans was still a thing at the time. And uh, I just really wanted to do something with it. So I started studying cultural anthropology and political science just to understand why people do the things that they do. And within those studies, I've always had a focus on, at the time, called environment. That's great. Um, and my second question is connected to that. When you think about your past, what was the most important event in your life that made you who you are today? That's such a good question. Um, I think that it was uh, when I was around 17, 18, I got elected as a United Nations youth delegate. So then you're officially a part of the country's uh, delegation and you represent, I represented youth and children in UN conferences around sustainability. And I think why it was so influential is because before that, I wasn't really aware and I didn't really know I could have an impact. Like I, me personally, this small individual amongst so many could influence anything. I, I didn't understand it. And I think by being elected and being part of that and noticing that my voice got heard and picked up and I was speaking in these UN conferences and there were ministers listening to what we were saying and then and then reflected back in, in official text, I think that is when I first understood that speaking up 
um, actually makes a difference and can make a difference. And and that really empowered me to go forward and keep speaking up for what I believe in. That's very inspiring for other people who, you know, were refraining from speaking up until now. Maybe, you know, we can start speaking up after this. You are selected as one of the innovators under 35 Europe 2018 by the MIT Technology Review. Which crossroads in your life led you to this success? Yeah, that's a good question. And and uh, a lot of crossroads, actually. Uh, it was one thing that led to another. Um, so as I said, I've always been interested in the environment and seeing how we as humans could could better work together instead of just depleting or polluting the environment. And, um, and also how we can enable human well-being. And I was working at the time on something that's called XTEX, which is a tax shift from taxing labor to taxing resources. And with that, you create completely different incentives in society where if you tax resources, you start using them less. If you tax labor less, you can start using it more. So we create this frame where we really lift people up and at the same time are very careful about the environment. So then I had to start thinking about how can we actually start taxing resources? Like what resources are there going through society? I had no idea. So I thought, okay, I'll just Google, let's see. And then I found out we don't really know. We don't really know what's in our products. We don't really know what exactly is in our phones, in our cars, in our clothing, where it comes from. So that is what led me to invent something that's called a resources passport or materials passport, or these days a digital product passport, which is basically an ingredient list of, of what's in a product and which materials are in there, where they come from. And that led me to to one, win some awards, to be selected for other things. That's how I ended up with my own company as well. So it, there's many crossroads that lead me to where I am today. <laughs> Thank you, Also, This is a great example of how you shift your focus in your decision-making to something else and it changes everything around you and how the whole system changes. This is also a great example for that. Thank you. This is the end of our first section. Now I'm going to move into our second circle which is going to focus on your industry and your, um, the discipline that you work around. You are the founder of a circular economy startup, Excess Materials Exchange, which you define as a dating site for materials. How does EME contribute to the circular economy? Yeah, thank you for that. So what we see in a circular economy, what you want is that is um, regenerative by design and not by coincidence, by design. And that materials and products can keep on existing in loops endlessly, maybe the same product, maybe other products. But in order to do that, we need to recycle them, reuse them, make them into this new loop. And that is really hard because you need transparency of information for that. You need to know where it is, what the quality is, what the quantity is. Um, and all this information isn't really publicly available. So what we did with Excess Materials Exchange is actually help companies get this information to identify this material. Then we added intelligence so you could find it. And in the end, we integrated it so that we didn't necessarily keep one material in the same loop, but could find new destinations. And a very easy example of this is coffee leftovers. So we all usually drink coffee. And after you're done, you throw the coffee leftovers away because you're not going to make coffee about that again. Um, 
And then in the Netherlands, I mean, you throw it away, you, you pay to get rid of that. But what you could also do is collect it separately and use it to extract pigment for ink or use it to make water filters or bioplastics or fibers. And all these things are a completely different sector, not the restaurant business, and they add value again. And this works for coffee, but this works for every material. And that's what we're doing with Access Materials Exchange. In terms of startups, what is the role of startups in facilitating the circular economy? That's a good question as well. I think the role of startups is really that they can change really fast and innovate very fast. So they come up with new ideas. They are not stuck in a gigantic organization with lots of uh, shareholders that you need to report to. They can, they can try, they can implement, they can pivot, they can adjust, they can try it again. Um, and and that new way of thinking is very relevant for implementing a circuit economy because it's a completely new way of working. It's a paradigm shift. And just going about it with the old ways, we're not going to be able to do that. So we need this creative thinking to make that difference. And I think startups are really uh, one of the main pe- uh, catalyzers for this. Yeah, and also like there are platforms such as the Industrial Symbiosis or Excess Materials Exchange as a platform that produce value out of waste for other businesses. What is the role of these platforms for the circular economy? So it's very important to have transparency. Right now, we're not aware of waste that companies have. And if we don't know that they have waste or what specifically that waste is, it's really hard to make the business case to do something with it again. So there was a time a while back that we didn't know there was gold in our phones. Um, so we just threw it away. Whereas now we know that there's more gold in our mobile phones than there's left in the world's gold mines. So that knowledge, that transparency that comes from it really generates new ways of working. I didn't know that there were goals in mobile phones. I'll be more careful as well. But you decided to move to um, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development after being an entrepreneur. My next question is related to that. How did you decide it? How did you decide to be a part of a big organization after being an entrepreneur? So my choice to be an entrepreneur and my choice to be part of a big organization are the same. I wanted to make impact. Um, and make a difference. And at the time, uh, no one was setting up a, a marketplace for secondary materials. They called us crazy when we started. Uh, whereas now we changed the paradigm and it's a given. Um, and the reason I joined WBCSD is that we were running into lots of systemic issues, uh, issues with finance, issues with accounting, issues with the legal system, value chain issues. And it requires cooperation between all of that. And as a CEO of a small startup, uh, I wasn't well positioned to address any of that. But if I wanted to make sure that we as a society can move forward in our transition to a circular economy, we need to address these issues. So I chose to step into a new position where I am well positioned to address all these issues. And that's that's why I chose to go to WBCSD. And it sounds like, a, you know, a- the same way forward with this, different, different platforms. So I think we call you know WBCSD as an ecosystem enabler. And as an ecosystem enabler, what is the role of platforms and organizations like WBCSD in preventing climate change? 
So I think the role of enablers is to enable things for others. And we see that in preventing climate change or enabling the circuit economy, it requires cooperation. Cooperation between uh, value chain players, uh, different value chains within the value chain in extraction, processing, manufacturing, but also recycling. They need to talk to one another. And that traditionally isn't done by a company by itself. You need a platform for that. And that is the platform that we offer. And we really focus on the how-to question. So sustainability is mainstream. The question is, how do we get there? And what do companies need in order to implement that? And that's where the struggle is at this point in time. So we offer uh, a platform where companies can talk about how they can implement things and help them go move forward. And circular economy is one of those how to, uh, you know, provide sustainability or how to enable sustainability. So where does businesses fit into this equation with the ecosystem enablers? So I think businesses are extremely powerful motor of innovation. Um, they have a lot of uh, manpower behind them, but also money and impact on society. And we can choose to use that to pollute, but we can also choose to use all this power and innovation and, and brain power of all the people working there for a circular economy. Um, so I think they're extremely important in catalyzing this and implementing this and scaling this because there's wonderful solutions that are still relatively small scale. If you work with really big industry, it's much easier to scale that up and have a really big impact. I think what we re need right now is scale because the issues at hand require measures. That's so true. It's like we have big problems. What is WBCSD is doing to enable a circular economy in the world? So, as I said, we focus on the how-to question, and that is central in the work that we do. And then with that, we have five different things that we focus on. So either we focus on standard setting, uh, or we focus on tool development, we focus on advocacy, we focus on coalition building, or we focus on knowledge and spreading the knowledge. And that is all the work that we do. So it could be that in the transition, people are really craving for a piece of information, like how do I deal with scope three emission accounting when I'm a chemical company? That's a piece of knowledge that we can do. Or how do we measure circularity equally every company in the world? That's a standard setting question that we work on. So there's there's different angles that we go about it. Among those things that you do, what are the main challenges as an ecosystem builder um, to enable a circular economy? Oh, I think there are challenges galore. <laughs> There's no lack of challenges. Um, that doesn't mean it should stop us and, and we can also reframe them to opportunities. But I think There's five areas that we focus on uh, as challenges. So that's that's norms and values, mindset of people, uh, that is policies that are there, that is information flows that are there, financial flows that are there, and technologies that we have to actually make a change. Um, and when in, within all of those, there is uh, issues that we need to work on and challenges that, that need to be overcome. That's great. Thank you. Um, I'm going to move into... You know, the projects that you do with WBCSD, what is the main project within WBCSD that made the most significant impact on enabling the circular economy? The main project within WBCSD 
that has an impact on enabling circuit economy is uh, what we call the circular transition indicators, or CPI. So it's a way to measure circularity, and it's developed by business for business, and it's at this point in time the most used measurement method worldwide by big organizations, but also by SMEs, to measure how circular they actually are. Their product, their business unit, and you can aggregate it for your company. And the reason that that is so important is because when you can measure it, you can also start changing it. So you know that maybe if you have more secondary input, your product will become more circular. Or if you change something on um, the end of life recycling, it will make a big impact for the circularity score that you have. And this really flags the issues where circularity is relevant in your organization and how to move forward from that. Can you give us an example about this? And so we have, that's one of the things we need to work on is case studies. <laughs> so we did a case study uh, where we, with uh, Microsoft, looked at some of their equipment and they saw that they could really up their circularity score by changing things in the design or changing things in the packaging. And knowing that from measuring that with CTI really enabled them to take the next step and see like, oh, but if we... For example, instead of gluing something together, we screw it together. We can also take it apart easily afterwards, and we have two still functioning components that we can use again. That's the type of example that I was looking for. And we, in our own research, we also came up with this. Eight, more than 80% of the impact of a product can be eliminated during the design stage. It is, and this is, this is a great example of it. What kind of enablers does the business world need for embracing circularity in their practices? So, I mean, many enablers. And again, there's five categories that I mentioned before. And I think the first one that I mentioned was norms and values and mindset. And I think that is a really, really important one to focus on. Because what we do right now is we have capitalism that focus on financial benefits. But there's so much more value than just financial value. There's true value, which includes the environment, which includes the social side. And I think we really need to rethink what we see as valuable and how we measure that, how that's integrated into our financial systems, reporting systems that we have. So that's a really key one. I think another one is really looking at what technologies do we have to, to scale up um, the, the solutions that we have to really reduce, for example, carbon emissions in the environment or pollution in the oceans. Can I ask, like, what are the ongoing projects at WBCST about the circular yes. economy? So we have various projects. Uh, the Circular Transition Indicators is, is one of our flagship projects. Then we have a big project around plastics and packaging material where we really focus on how can companies report and disclose on their plastic use and also help shape up the UN treaty around marine litter and plastic pollution that just got kicked off beginning of March um, and make sure that it's really um, ready to be implemented uh, when it's finalized the end of 2024. That's a big project that we have. Then we have a project around the digital product passport 
So the European Union makes it mandatory, not really specified when, but soon, uh, for at least electronics, textiles and the built environment for every new product that comes on the EU market to have a digital product passport. So it needs to have information about like starting with the chemicals, starting from the mine. Um, and that is something that has never been done before for a real like product to have all this information there to be shared by different players in the value chain. Um, so we're really focusing on helping that. Then we're kicking off a project around critical raw materials as well. So right now there are materials that are essential for the functioning of an economy um, like indium, lithium, nickel, uh, tantalum, you might have heard of, of some of those, and we really need them on our quest to decarbonize. So they're essential in solar panels, wind, PV, batteries for electric vehicles, uh, but there isn't like a lot of them and the demand increase is really, really steep. So how can we make sure that we deal with this to make sure that we can decarbonize our economy? And that's another project that we have. And we have a project with um, with a chemical group. So how can the chemical group really focus on enabling circularity in the value chain? And for them, where do their chemicals end up? What is being done with it? And how can we make sure that whatever barriers we find can be overcome uh, together with the whole value chain for different types of, of product groups? That's very interesting. And we have a uh, coalition that we founded, which is called the Circular Electronics Partnership. And we've done that with many other organizations, amongst others, the WEF and PACE. Um, and that really focuses on how can we enable circularity in the electronics value chain. So they have a roadmap identifying all kinds of actions that are relevant. For example, legal barriers in shipment of, of e-waste. How can we go about that to make sure that the material actually stays there and we can reuse it again? Can I ask, like, what are the ongoing projects at WVCSD about the circular economy? So we have various projects and the circular transition indicators is, is one of our flagship projects. Then we have a big project around plastics and packaging material where we really focus on how can companies report and disclose on their plastic use and also help shape up the UN treaty around marine litter and plastic pollution that just got kicked off beginning of March um, and make sure that is really um, ready to be implemented uh, when it's finalized the end of 2024. That's a big project that we have. Then we have a project around the digital product passport. So the European Union makes it mandatory, not really specified when, but soon, uh, for at least electronics, textiles, and the built environment for every new product that comes on the EU market to have a digital product passport. So it needs to have information about like starting with the chemicals, starting from the mine. Um, and that is something that has never been done before for a real like product to have all this information there to be shared by different players in the value chain. Um, so we're really focusing on helping that. Then we're kicking off a project around critical raw materials as well. So right now there are materials that are essential for the functioning of an economy, um, like indium, lithium, nickel, 
uh, tantalum, you might heard of, of some of those, and we really need them on our quest to decarbonize. So they're essential in solar panels, wind, PV, batteries for electric vehicles. Uh, but there isn't like a lot of them and the demand increase is really, really steep. So how can we make sure that we deal with this to make sure that we can decarbonize our economy? And that's another project that we have. And we have a project with um, with a chemical group. So how can the chemical group really focus on enabling circularity in the value chain? Uh, for them, where do their chemicals end up? What is being done with it? And how can we make sure that whatever barriers we find can be overcome uh, together with the whole value chain for different types of, of product groups? That's very interesting. And we have a, a coalition that we founded, which is called the Circular Electronics Partnership. And we've done that with many other organizations, amongst others, the WEF and PACE. Um, and that really focuses on how can we enable circularity in the electronics value chain. So they have a roadmap identifying all kinds of actions that are relevant. For example, legal barriers in shipment of, of e-waste. How can we go about that to make sure that the material actually stays there and we can reuse it? And we talked about like how business, what's the business's role in this equation. Since you're talking about these projects and they're like really big scale, um, government scale projects, how much... Uh, do you think the governments embrace the circularity or what is their role in embracing the circularity that you are pioneering? So I think their role is one to uh, unlock finance to help stimulate it. So not uh, give subsidies to like non-sustainable or non-circular initiatives. And on the other hand, the circular economy is new. So we really need to either create new policy or uh, adjust existing policies to really enable that. So an example is that you have product legislation and you have waste legislation, and there's nothing really in between. So if you then have a product that you want to get rid of, it's called waste. But if you can still use it or use part of it, you can because it's in waste legislation and you need to get it back in product legislation, which is extremely difficult. And there's nothing really in between that's being developed, like extended use, for example. So there's lots of new concepts that need to be invented and implemented. And that is a, a really big role for policymakers to do that. And besides that, I think a really important role is to make sure that whatever they're stimulating is well thought through. So one of the things that we see happening is that they stimulate uh, recycling by setting recycling quota. By itself, you think that's a really good idea. A and it is great that you stimulate recycling. However, by setting a quota on recycling and not on reuse, people skip the reuse and just make sure that it's recycled. But then the reuse part is the part that comes before that and it, it just gets ignored. So policymakers have a really influential role to make sure that... It, actually can lift off. And it seems that they need a more holistic understanding of what circular economy and what circular economy is and how they can implement into their um, you know, decision-making in terms of lawmaking and legislation. At the WBCSD, how do you decide which projects to execute more holistically? That's a good question. I think, well, we decide upon which projects we execute together with the members that we have, so the businesses that work with us. Um, 
And I think in general, we have a lack of holistic decision-making tools. So we either focus on carbon emission reduction, but then we forget that if we make decisions based upon that, they might have really detrimental impacts on biodiversity. But that was a different tool, so that wasn't taken into account. So I think you touch upon a good point that we still operate in silos. So reducing one doesn't necessarily mean reducing the impacts on another area. And we lack really the the tools to measure that correctly and for companies to be able to really assess, okay, this is the best holistic option. So I think in general, we don't really have the tool. I think starting to measure with CTI, for example, is a first start. Um, but really having a, a global tool for that would be very helpful. That's a great example of like, you know, the decision making in terms of silos too. Is Do you have a circularity checklist that you can share with other decision makers? Ah. No, well, we use CTI as a checklist. So it really starts with what, how circular is your input? How circular is your outflow? What are critical raw materials? What is the financial value you derive from that? What are greenhouse gas emissions related to that? That is a really good start, I would say. And, uh, and as far as the industry uh, is, and we're taking steps to take that further to include biodiversity, to include the social side as well, because uh, that's extremely important. Is, that, is the CTI publicly available? Can we download it from somewhere? Yes, companies can freely use it. It's available on the WBCSD website uh, and you can find the methodology there. That's great. This is the end of our second chapter. Thank you for your answers. Now we're moving into the third circle of our conversation, which is going to focus on the future and what you think about the future. And my first question is, how can ecosystem builders contribute to a circular future? I think the main contribution that we that they can give is by collaborating, by sharing. I think for a long time and, and in general, uh, we've nurtured the very collaborative mindset and it brought us really, really far. But the question of a circuit economy requires more than that. So we can have very competitive elements, but we need to work together. We're in this together. And Everyone has a part of the information that the other needs and expertise that the other needs. So I think what is extremely important is building upon each other's strengths and building bridges between all the different players that are there. That's great. So in that sense, like we talked about businesses, governments and ecosystem builders. Um, How can governments, businesses and civil society best collaborate to build a circular future? Well, there's, there's many ways that they can collaborate. I think, first of all, understanding that they need one another uh, is helpful. And I think, in general, individuals understand that they need one another, but the institutions or the setup of the institutions behind it don't always make it easy to really collaborate. And I have that experience having a startup. Like, the time cycle in which a startup operates is completely different from which a big corporate operates. So... Those don't necessarily immediately align, and it's not because they don't want to cooperate. It just makes it more difficult to cooperate. And it's the same holds true for governments and business and and civil society and and non-governmental organizations. So being aware of that and 
creating for our platforms like WBCC, but also Web. There, there's many platforms out there to really facilitate this, this collaboration, regardless of the topic, I think is extremely important. And making sure that whatever is being done is available for others to use and to scale um, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel themselves. That's true. What needs to change in the non-governmental space to create the most significant impact for the future? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think... I, I think they have their own expertise. So what needs to change, I'm not sure. What I see happening is that um, traditionally NGOs, but also the other players, have really kept to themselves. Um, so I think, as I said before, the collaboration there is really important. Understanding that they need the others, they can help the others, they can feed them with information that they don't have, but is relevant for them to move forward instead of seeing them as the enemy. Um, I think that would help. Yeah, and there's a, a change in perspective and a shift in paradigm as well. What made the business leaders change in their decision-making to embrace circularity in their businesses? I think, I mean, there's many things, but right now what is really hard is that business decisions are usually financial decisions. Um and we are just looking at financial decisions. Whereas if we transition to a more sustainable or circular economy, we need to include social and, and nature or environmental decisions there as well. So it needs to be reflected in whatever we measure, whatever value we attribute to something. So we really need to rethink capitalism um, and rethink what businesses are for in order to really shift the mindset of people and, and lift off circularity. In that sense, as a professional with years of experience in this field, what would you first advise brands and businesses who want to transform towards a circular economy? I would advise them to start using CTI, actually, <laughs> to do an assessment, like where you're at. Um, it's difficult. Where are you struggling? What is going on in your supply chain? And what do you have? Like now, if you don't write down what you have, it's written off the books because it's seen as waste and it's gone. Whereas if you write it down, you can actually still get value from it financially, but also environmentally and socially by keeping it in the loop. So my suggestion is start writing it down and use CTI to see where you can actually make impact and then build a strategy around that to move forward. And also start measuring, right? You know, start measuring everything. Not only the financial outcomes, but also the environmental, social, and um, other outcomes as well. Thank you, Micah, for this conversation. It was very inspiring. And I hope there's more businesses and Startups to join the WBCSD's lead and also downloads the CTI so that they can benefit from that knowledge as well. Thank you for your attendance today. Thank you so much for the conversation and thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. This is one of the 10 interviews with passionate circular economy leaders from fashion to food, from cryptocurrencies to architecture. Please subscribe to our podcast channel for the following episodes in the series. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell button to watch these interviews. For more information, visit our website at www.circumcenter.world. See you at the next Circumcenter episode, discovering the center of your decisions.